currently going to school at Moody Bible Institute online. I am pursuing a preaching degree, and I am finishing up a class right now, and uh, I have a text assigned to me, and that text is not your typical Christmassy text. And so just as a forewarning, um, I promise I tie it in, and God is going to use it to encourage, bless, and challenge us, hopefully, but I just I wanted to warn you from the outset there. Um, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you. Uh, We just thank you so much for your word uh, that we can go to it and learn more about you and your character, that we can uh, uh, see you working through history and moving and uh, making yourself known to us uh, through it. And so I just ask that you would open our hearts, that you'd open our ears to hear what you have for us today. Uh, Use me uh, to... Uh, Just proclaim your goodness this morning. I love you. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a guitar, as most of you can tell. Um, It is an old Takamine Jasmine, which essentially means it is a cheapo version of what a normal Takamine would be. This is like the, you know, cheap guitar, all right? Um, I, I think I stole it from my old friend Logan back in high school. I've had this guitar for a long time. And I say I think I stole it because I actually don't remember him giving it to me, but for some reason I have it, and I have had it for years, and I'm not sure why. So um, we'll just go with that for now. Um, a few things about this guitar. If you'll notice, there's a peg missing, so I can't use it. I can't use a strap on it. Um, there's a big old hole right there, right? Uh, it's scratched up. It's dinged up. Um, some years ago, this part of the guitar is called the nut, and it fell off when I was changing the strings. It's not supposed to do that, and so I had to glue it back, and if you look, it's crooked. And then also, if you look at the neck, if you look real close like this, you'll notice that the neck itself is also crooked. It's a little bent. It's seen its years. It's a little warped, but, and I can't guarantee it's going to be in tune, but if you listen, it still plays still plays a tune, right? So despite this guitar being crooked, despite it being old, mis, uh, you know, not being up to the standards that a guitar should be, uh, it still plays a tune, right? Um, this morning, we're going to be continuing our, <clears throat> as I said, oddball, but we're going to be continuing our series through, uh, you know, uh, the gospel according to Christmas. And we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 3, if you guys have your Bibles, open up to them, because I don't have a screen today, I'm going old school. And, and so, before we dive into this particular story, um, a little context about Judges, just so we understand where we're coming from. Judges falls in between the time period in Israel's history, when uh, they had just conquered the promised land that God had promised them, Right? And it's in between that time and the time when uh, the monarchy began. So you have your kings like Saul, David, Solomon. So Judges falls in between those two times. And so during this time, uh, Judges records the history of Israel. And what it's going to do is it's going to record a history that's, well, let's just say it's the slow decline and downfall of Israel as a people, right? 
What will happen on repeat, and we'll notice it in the story today, is you will see Israel go from, uh, they will do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. Something bad will happen. They'll call to God for help. God will send a judge. That judge will come and rescue them. They'll experience peace. Repeat. And that's what will happen over and over again. And so we're going to look into this story. And I know you're wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas? Jeremy, why are you, you know, uh, well, let's dive in and see. This is the story of Ehud. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a few verses and talk about it. So, starting in verse 12, it says, And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, when it says that, it is most likely talking about what Israel always does. They started worshiping idols. They started uh, trying to do what was right in their own eyes. Uh, We still do the same thing today, right? Um, if you go back to Genesis and you look at the fall, the, the biggest culprit of the fall was that Eve wanted to be like God in that she could determine for herself what is right and wrong and not obey and listen to God, right? And that's what's happening right here again in the story of Israel. They have decided on their own, we, we can determine for ourselves what's good, Lord. We don't actually need your guidance. We're going to ignore that promise you made us, or right? And so... They do what's evil in the sight of the Lord. And let's see how the Lord responds. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done what is evil in the sight of the Lord. So God himself was the one who strengthened the enemy to come up against Israel. That's what the text says. Now, I want to point out that this story... The main character itself actually isn't Ehud at all. The main character is God. This is a story of God rescuing his people. And we're going to see how he uses um, this main character in this particular story, Ehud, to do that. But first we have to grapple with the fact that God himself is just in his strengthening of this king to come up against Ehud. Right? Uh, God had uh, given the Israelites a promise, follow me, and I'll bless you. You steer away, it's not going to go so well for you. That's what he said. And so, that's what happens. And so, pretty much what happens is this King Eglon uh, uh, puts together some forces, and he comes up against Israel, and he wins. And so now he's ruling over Israel, and he rules over Israel for 18 years. So we see from this offset as we're looking through this passage that God is, is just. He doesn't let his people get away with things. He, he comes after them. And he gives them what they deserve because they had wandered off. God is just. But it's going to reveal something else about God. Let's read on in verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and the Lord raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. Let's stop right there. Let's see, as the story is progressing, they've been ruled under this king for 18 years, and they finally cry out to God for help. Now, the text doesn't say that uh, they repented of their sins. The text doesn't say that they turned away from their idolatrous ways and realized what they did was wrong and came to this 
form of repentance and was like, all right, sorry, Lord, that we did that. We repent. We turn from our sinful ways and we turn back to you. No, no, they just, they, the text just simply says that they cried out for help. They were tired of being under the tyranny of this really bad king, Eglon, and they're asking for help. And still, despite that, God is gracious and does what? He sends a deliverer. Um, God is gracious and patient to us. We see that in this text because, like I already mentioned, there is no repentance. God is still gracious enough to come and rescue his people. And that shows us his graciousness, right? And so how is he going to do that? He's going to use Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a left-handed man. Now, um, it's a random detail to point out that he's left-handed, but the reason that he does that is because um, most likely it was the case that in that day and age, being left-handed really just meant that he was ambidextrous. He had use of both of his hands. Ehud was a warrior, and he could use both of his hands in, in battle, and that was very rare, and uh, that is um, what is going to be uh, used in uh, God rescuing Israel from King Eglon. And so Ehud and the Israelites come up with a plan. Here's what they are going to do. And Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and he bound it in his right thigh under his clothes. Now, something I forgot to mention at the beginning that's worth mentioning now. Uh, the way that this story is told, it's, it's, uh, it's comical almost. And it's comical in the sense because if you read the story, the Philistines themselves are going to make choices that kind of make them look bad. And the story is kind of making fun of the Philistines in order to glorify God. That was like the reason it was written in the way that it was. And, you know, we can kind of look at it like, well, that's kind of weird that the Bible would tell a story where it's making fun of uh, God's enemies in order to glorify him. But, like, <laughs> you ever get on Facebook and see a meme that's making fun of your opposing viewpoint and go, ha, so funny, share, like, love, right? Like, we enjoy that sort of thing. And so that's pretty, pretty much what this story is. It's a comical poking fun at God's enemies. And, and this uh, left-handedness plays into that because what's going to happen is, is Ehud's going to, um, well, I'll tell you the plan, all right? Here's what they decide they're going to do. They go, all right, he's going to hide a blade on his right thigh, and he's going to go before the king with a tribute. And when he does, you know, he's going to, do the deed, and we'll read about that in a second. And, and so that's the plan, and the reason that they did that is because in that day and age, they assumed everyone else was right-handed. And so they're not going to think to check the right thigh for a blade because they're going to assume you're right-handed and you're going to grab your blade from your left thigh. And so they didn't think to check that part of them. See how it's comical in making fun of the Philistines? Like you would think they would check both sides, but nope, nope, they just checked the one side. Silly Philistines. And so, as the story progresses, they decide to go about it that way. And he goes to present this, um, this tribute. And, well, here, I'll just describe King Eglon to you. Because at this point, we haven't really had a description of King Eglon until now. And, and this is what uh, it says of him. Now, Eglon 
was a very fat man. And so I'm guessing at this point that the tribute's most likely some really delicious baked goods or something. Because at this point we can uh, infer that like this king is fat and greedy and he loves treats. And now the Bible doesn't actually say what it was. I'm just conjecturing that that's probably what it was. Is that it was baked goods. Because we all like baked goods. And so he was a very fat man. And, and, and so Ehud brings this tribute to him. He gives it to him. He presents it to him. And as everyone's leaving after the time of tribute, uh, Ehud goes, Eglon, I have a secret message for you. I have a secret to tell you. And most of the time when people are greedy, they're not just greedy for food and power, but they're also greedy for knowledge, Right? And so Eglon, being greasy-handed and fat and always wanting more in his greed, he goes, oh, well, yeah, I definitely want this secret message. Please, yes, do tell. And so what he does next is he sends out all his guards and his servants so he can get this secret message from Ehud. I'm sure at this point the guards are like, um, are you sure you want us to leave you alone with this guy? And he's like, get out. And so they go. Um, again, it's comical. He's making fun of the Philistines, making them look real bad, because that's probably not the wisest choice. Eglon, are you sure you want to do that? And so he does. And so now this plan that Ehud has made, it's, it's time for him to take action, right? And so he goes before Eglon. He's probably bowing. He's probably a little nervous ready to uh, do the deed. And he comes up to the king. And I imagine that the king himself is excited and jolly and ready to receive this secret message. Like, what could it be? Um, remember, he's a fat, greedy king who always wants more. Greedy people are never satisfied, right? It's the reason they're greedy. They're never satisfied. They're never content. They always want more. And so Ehud plays into that and uses it to his advantage. And he approaches the king. And he says, I have a message from God for you. And just as an aside, I love the Bible because it's honest and about the reality of the world. A lot of times we forget because we live in a time and a day and an age where we don't have to witness a lot of gruesome things unless we're watching it on our TV. Right? We live a pretty clean cut life ourselves. And, and so this, this story is going to point to the gruesome reality of the world that we live in and, and the world that they lived in back then. So here's what happens. I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat. And Ehud reached with his left hand and took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt went, uh, also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword from his belly. And the dung came out. Hey, man, I just read the Bible to you, okay? I, straight out of the text. I didn't add that for dramatic effect to offend anyone. That is straight from the Bible. And the reason that it's there is, again, this is a story that is um, just blunt about the reality of the world that we live in. And so Ehud does the deed. He kills the king leaves the blade in there. The hilt is covered up by his fat, and he's able to uh, sneak off. 
And so what happens next, and again, this plays into the comical story of, of these silly Philistines that we're poking fun at right now. Um, he sneaks out, and by this time, the servants and the guards outside of the room are probably like, what is taking them so long? And at some point, the text itself actually says that they assume that maybe he's using the bathroom. And so they decide to wait until it's embarrassing. And so then they knock down the door and come and uh, discover their dead king. And while all of this is going on, Ehud runs down and rallies the Israelites. And, and this is what he says to them. Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies and the, the Moabites into your hand. And so then the rest of the story goes. He, he rallies the troops. He uses this shocking death of their king to... Uh, they're shooken up. They're shocked. They didn't see this coming. And so that's when he attacks. And he attacks, and he wins, and he drives out the Philistines. And Israel lives in peace again for a time. Now, I just walked through this gruesome, comical, almost, story for you guys this morning. And the question must be going through your head. One, what does this have to do with me? because this is an old, archaic story from the Old Testament about a fat king getting stabbed with a sword. and Ew, what does this have to do with me? And then, obviously, because it's the second or third week of Advent, I don't remember, I think the second week, we'll go with that. Um, what does this have to do with Christmas? And, and so, what does this have to do with me? We'll start there. God uses crooked means, in this story in particular, to rescue Israel, right? Let's look at Ehud. Now, I will point out that Ehud himself isn't the worst judge. As the book of Judges goes forward, they get worse and worse. He's actually one of the good ones. But still, we have to look at the fact that God used an assassin to rescue his people, and we have to ask ourselves, like, why did he do that? Like, what was he, what was he doing? Like, he murdered a guy. And and so, what we can learn from Ehud are a couple of things. One, we can realize that we live in a broken world, and God uses broken things, much like my crooked guitar, to uh, to do His will, right? And we can judge Ehud all day who's an assassin, but at the end of the day, we are no better than him. I am no better than him, right? Um, God uses us. And the other thing we can learn from Ehud is that despite the deed he did, he acted in faith and trusted the Lord the whole time, right? He used the skills he knew he had, and he rescued his people, Right? And God used that, and God blessed that. And we have a hard time with that because we're not used to political assassinations and all that in our day and age, at least right now. But we have to realize that God uses the crooked and the broken uh, because at the end of the day, we are all crooked and broken, right? And so that is what we can learn uh, from Ehud, right? That, that, that we are broken, that he was broken, but yet God still used him. Doesn't that show his graciousness a bit, right? Ehud wasn't this perfect person who did everything right, but God still blessed him and gave him the ability to rescue his people from a sour situation, right? 
What does this have to do with Christmas? Well, um, as we know with the history of Israel, uh, this is in the middle, like in the beginning of the book, right? And, And in the next chapter, the same thing is going to happen. Israel is going to fall away from the Lord. The Lord is going to be just and discipline them. And then he's going to rescue them over and over and over again. And it's going to happen throughout history. And so as we look at this story, we can realize that um, like when, when Christ came down as a baby, and that's what we're celebrating at Christmas time, right? Like that, him doing that, and then him eventually growing up, uh, being perfect and sinless, and then dying on the cross and being rose again three days later, like that is the ultimate fix. That brings the ultimate peace. And and what Ehud did, though it was good and God used it to rescue His people, was only a temporary fix, right? Like um, last week, Eric. Uh, preached out of Isaiah, and I just wanted to read a couple verses from it again, uh, starting in verse 5 of Isaiah 9. It says, For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to molt, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so this Christmas season, we can we can look at this oddball story in Judges and be reminded that no uh, no temporary fix like a political move, because that's at the end of the day, that's what it was. It was a political move. You take, you cut the head off the leader and you can win the battle, right? It was totally political. That's why he did it. But at the end of the day, that isn't going to actually bring ultimate peace to the world, is it? We know this, Right? No amount of uh, Supreme Court justices, uh, no having the right president in the White House, no perfect law over guns and how we use them, none of that is going to bring us ultimate peace in this life. It's not going to happen. And the point is, is during Christmas we celebrate that Christ came down, and the reason he came down was to bring that ultimate peace. And so this morning, as we're, um, you know thinking about this oddball story of Judges, and we're looking at Ehud. And, and, and yes, again, Ehud was faithful with the skills he had, and he went forth, and he did what he had to do to rescue his people. And God blessed that and used that, despite its gruesomeness, like he did. But at the same time, we have to be reminded that this Christmas season, we are celebrating the ultimate fix for the world. Because when Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins and we repent and put our faith and trust in him, that brings true heart change. And in that heart change, we can really make a difference in the world. But it starts with the heart. No law, 
no political assassination, no having the right president or impeaching the wrong president. None of that is going to do a lick of good at the end of the day. At the end of the day, we celebrate Christmas because he came down to save us because we needed it. Because, again, none of the surfacey stuff we do here is going to make a difference without first having Christ. Right? And so, for unto us a child is born. Um, God, we are all crooked. We are all this broken, beat-up guitar. And God still uses us. Go out today and be faithful servants to him because he has called you to do that. And you won't do it perfectly and you will fall and you will make mistakes and you won't do it the right way or whatever, but God is good and he's going to use you. Um, and, and be reminded that this season we don't celebrate, like a lot of times we get caught up in um, getting the right gift to make the kid happy, uh, doing the... Uh, doing just uh, baking just the right amount of cookies during the Christmas season to to make us happier, or doing all of these Christmassy things and all these surfacey things in hopes that it'll bring this happiness, right? Like we want to be happy during the Christmas season, right? I love Christmas. I love the tree. I love the I love it all. Uh, but again, it's uh, it's it's what's underneath that is worth really celebrating, right? We do all of these fun jolly things to celebrate that Christ came down and he came to save us, despite us not deserving it, right? We are Israel. We are the Israel that didn't repent, but he still came down and rescued us, right? And so that's why we celebrate Christmas. Uh, Let's pray, and I'll let you all be. Father God, I thank you for your word. I just pray that you would uh, challenge us and encourage us this morning. Help us to remember what Christmas is all about. It's about celebrating you. That we would learn to make you ultimate. That we wouldn't be like Israel and wander off over and over again. That we would find our security and our uh, hope and our peace and everything in you. And and not in uh, the things of the world that only bring temporary fixes. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a good day.